Welcome back, everybody, to episode 14 of This Week in Japan, presented by Ryu Tokyo. Coming to you live from Lopongi, Tokyo, I'm your host, Julian Domanski, and joining me, as always, is my co host and founder of Ryu Tokyo, Yasuharu Matsuno. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I really don't want to be talking about Corona every week, but just briefly. Tokyo just saw 224 new cases yesterday, which is the highest number for a single day since the outbreak of the Corona. No matter where you are, I hope you stay safe and strong to overcome this difficult situation. So, today is July 10th, and in this episode, we're going to be discussing the following big news stories. At least 60 are left dead as record flooding in Kyushu puts both people and businesses at risk. The company Fujitsu is to half its office space to support remote working. Former Johnny's Entertainment Idol quickly gains over 1 million followers. Robotic employees are coming to Japanese convenience stores. And a corona tracking app has only three registered cases so far. Japan is no stranger to flooding and landslides during the annual rainy season, which typically lasts from June to July. However, this year is seeing record breaking amounts of rain. In particular, the island of Kyushu has faced massive flooding from the many rivers that run through it. This Tuesday, the death toll surpassed 60 as the Chikugo River overflowed in Oita Prefecture. Videos online have surfaced showing entire buildings, cars, and even bridges being swept away under the torrents of water. With many citizens still missing or unaccounted for, emergency workers are in a race against time to find possible survivors. Many mountain residents in Kyushu were stranded after losing access to phone lines, electricity, and running water, and had to be rescued by local authorities. Fukuoka Prefecture requested that the Japan Self Defense Force be dispatched to assist after over 200 citizens were left stranded in evacuation centers when floodwaters closed in around them. To make matters worse, local tourism businesses who were already suffering from the impact of corona have been devastated by the rains. Dozens of local resorts and warehouses have received massive amounts of damage or have simply been completely swept away. We're halfway through 2020,、um, and it's probably been one of the, the worst years for the world. In a good long while.、Um, right. And this event just seems to have, you know, for the people of Kyushu, piled up on top of all of that stuff,、uh, even more tragedy.、Um, and yeah, it's just really, really sad to see.、Mm-hmm. You know, so many things are happening in Japan these days, right? I mean, on top of the, the corona, we just had meteor last week,、mm, although、yeah. there was no damage, and earthquakes. There was one in Tokyo yesterday. And、uh, typhoons and floods. I just feel it's a bit too much for many people in Japan to experience all the virus and natural di- disasters coming at the same time.、Mm. So, just some more details on the story as it is at the moment.、Um, actually, from our research, we, we had it confirmed as 50 people、um, passing away yesterday, but literally minutes before we started recording,、um, the updated figures are now 60 confirmed dead. Um, 1.3 million people were ordered to evacuate from their homes, and apparently there were 12 separate landslide events which caused you know, unfathomable damage to local houses, businesses, and just people's lives in general. You know, in Japan, many people build their houses on the flat field、uh, at the foot of a mountain.、Mm. And、uh, these landslides can sweep out or swallow those houses、mm. you know, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like、uh, causing the, the death, like so many deaths.、Mm. Yeah, like we already said, like this kind of event is not that uncommon in Japan.、Um, and just two years ago in 2018, there was a pretty big、um, typhoon that came through.、Um, oh, yeah. I remember. 
yeah, it did some pretty big damage to the campsite area. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing I remember was there was like a boat that was it was moored in one of the harbors, mm-hmm. and it basically broke free, was pushed down the river or down the canal, and basically just like plowed straight into the bridge that connects Kansai International Airport to the right, mainland. Right, right. So they just had to like close it all down, and there was actually people in the airport that were like just you know they so were just waiting for yeah. connections or whatever. Obviously the the, the flights were cancelled, so they they were just told to sit tight and hmm. you know flights would resume in the morning. But obviously little did they know that basically the airport would be out of commission for the next three weeks. So so like you said earlier, Yassi, right on top of everything else that we've been through already this year, these people really didn't need um just just yeah more more suffering unfortunately exactly you know you know again for the heavy rains and floods this mm. time it's not just kyushu but also hyogo nagano and kyoto are here mm, yeah they're all very kind of mountainous areas as well, right. right but uh mostly the western part of japan mm. Mm. yeah i guess like the flattest part of japan is tokyo isn't it and I don't know if that's like the, the natural landscape of the country or has like Tokyo being kind of terraformed over time um, into such a flat area. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's actually a combination of both. Mm. So uh, it was originally uh, mostly a flat land. But uh, also um, there was a shogun from Edo era and he has invested a lot into river works. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, one major reason why uh, we're seeing less number of uh, floods in, in Tokyo. Mm, yeah, true. Mm, and it's quite rare for uh, rivers in Tokyo to be out of control. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah, most of the rivers that I can think of, like um, like the Subida River, for example, it's quite mm. big, one of the biggest ones that goes through Tokyo, right? On, on a regular day, from like ground level where you stand, you know, down to the surface of the water, it's quite a few meters drop, right? So even if it did rise up quite a lot, it would take a lot of water to make that spill over onto the street. Right. So most rivers in Tokyo are like that, I think. They have their very, very deep um, banks, right? And also Tokyo underneath has like a massive like drainage system. I don't know if you've ever seen like videos or pictures of it before. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Some pictures, like, yeah. Yeah, it looks like, you know that scene in Lord of the Rings when they go into Mordor? And like they're running through that big room full of pillars, and all the orcs are coming down. Mm. It looks exactly like that. It's it's like it's such a uncanny resemblance. It's crazy. Right, right. But apparently, you can go in there and take a tour. I'd love to see that. It'd be super interesting. Mm-hmm. I hear that tour is quite popular. So you need to win a ticket lottery or something. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it does look super interesting. Yeah, and that, I, I do want to go. <laughs> it's a kind of a, a testament to the engineering that you know has gone underneath the mm-hmm. city. You know. Um, but that kind of thing makes me wonder, like, how hard would it be to implement that kind of stuff to other cities that are more prone to flooding, you know? Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we have the technology and the know-how to do so. But is it just the fact that perhaps, you know, the population is so low in some areas that it's not you know, financially viable? Or, I don't know, really, I can't really think of a yeah, possible so- reason. That's right. So in this case, I saw the news that there was actually a plan to build a huge dam in mm. Oita, but um, like some politicians just canceled the plan oh, uh, okay. to save the cost. Ah, uh, that's interesting. And you know, look at what happened now. Yeah, right? I mean, there's, there's obviously um, there's always risks um, that come along with living in particular areas, right? This is quite a common issue in England, actually. So, oh, is it? Uh, yeah, flooding is quite 
quite normal. Um, but the severity always changes. So usually it's just like flooding and, you know, like the main high street in a small village is flooded. And, you know, there's some damage, but people don't usually die. But I think that's because we don't have so much like high land. So we don't have these landslides, right? Mm. And maybe a lot of houses in England are built of brick, stone. So they can't be washed away so easily. But in Japan, basically every house is built of wood, right? So when you see these like floods come through, it's just almost like there's no resistance. Like as soon as the water hits the building, it just it just collapses mm-hmm. and just floats away. So yeah, it's been a bad year for everybody. Um, and, you know, hopefully these kind of things will, will stop. We'll get a bit of a break from this kind of stuff. Our thoughts go out to everybody in Oita um, and the, the affected area. Um, hope that the uh, Japan Self-Defense Force will be able to find more survivors, hopefully, soon, and the, the death rate will, will stop rising. So now on to the second topic of the week. Johnny's and Associates Agency, also known as just Johnny's, is the biggest idol agency in Japan. One of their most popular and controversial idols, Yuya Tegoshi, of the four-man idol group News, recently announced that he would be leaving the idol group and ending his contract with Johnny's. The 32-year-old singer and rumored playboy had been accused of going out drinking with groups of women during the state of emergency from various news outlets. There are claims that the continued pressure from media and online critics are what influenced him to leave. However, in a recently held public press conference, Tegoshi came forward to address the rumors surrounding him, his alleged drinking with women, and many details about his time at Johnny's. After the press conference, his openness and honesty regarding his situation were positively received. Thanks to his turnaround from the press conference, Tegoshi's recently created YouTube and Twitter accounts, both surpassed 1 million followers, making it one of the quickest gains on YouTube and Twitter in Japan's history. So before we even start talking about this guy, do you know about Johnny's Entertainment? I've heard of it. I'm not really like into like idols and Japanese pop music in general, but from what I understand, it's just one of the biggest idol agencies and is it also a label like a music label it is it kind of just covers everything right Mm -hmm. and most of the big the artists in japan are signed up to to johnny's right um but yeah just to give you more context um they even have an english like wikipedia page for uh johnny's and it says that johnny's and associates is a japanese talent agency formed by johnny kitagawa in 1962 which trains and promotes groups of male entertainers, yes, male only, uh, known as Johnny's. Johnny Kitagawa, or uh, Johnny-san, passed away last year, but the agency itself is still dominating the Gainokai, or the world of entertainment in Japan. People call it Johnny's Teikoku. Uh, You you know what Teikoku means? Uh, I don't know, Teikoku. Teikoku means the empire. Oh, that take your... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's how powerful the agency has been in Japan for uh, many years. Okay, sure. Over 50 years. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. And I find the news quite positive, actually. Mm. Uh, not only that, I kind of like this guy's um, eccentric like personality and energy. But, you know, there's a bad tradition in Genokai in Japan, uh, which is that if you don't belong to a large... A powerful agency, you can't appear on TV or other 
uh, other large media. Oh, okay. Mm, and once you leave those agencies, uh, you'll be taking away chances to appear on the media. That is interesting. Is that why, like, on the very rare instances that I do watch Japanese TV, is that why, like, I see the same people in, like, every TV show? It's definitely one of the, the main <laughs> reasons. Yeah. Like, I like, I quite like uh, Degawa. I think, he's, I think he's really funny, but he's in, like, every show. Yeah. And I don't know, like, any of those names, but there's that one guy who's got, like, the mushroom haircut. Uh, I don't know. He's in, like, every comedy show, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you were talking about this guy, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, this this guy is Hotochan, and um, yeah, so the the guy you were talking about, uh, Hotochan, mm. uh, he actually belongs to Yoshimoto Kogyo, which okay. is another maybe the biggest or the second biggest uh, talent agency in Japan. Oh, okay, mm. maybe that makes sense then. Mm. And <laughs> if you anger Yoshimoto, then it's it makes you know things really difficult for you right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean he this guy has a very like specific appearance but like a lot of these are the like japanese comedians entertainers i couldn't really describe them because they just look like regular people there's nothing like d- distinct about them you know um or about their appearance should i say not their personalities but their their appearance they just look like men or women and you know they're, they're attractive and they're just on tv right so i don't really know who they are but i see the same faces in like almost every tv show to me, yeah, it's definitely one of the, the reasons why, you know, I don't watch uh, TVs in Japan. Mm. I mean, I'm Japanese, but <laughs> I don't watch TVs because there is no diversity. Mm. And they're, it almost seems like they're repeating the, the same type of like content yeah, yeah. with the same people. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, just, just talking about this uh, Togoshi guy just for a brief moment. He was in a band called News which is a ridiculous name, I will add. Just new capital letters, news. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's ours already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's no longer Stop English. stealing our words. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, as to be expected, he's, he's a very uh, attractive man in a boy band. So, you know, he gets a reputation as a ladies' man, um, allegedly out and about during the corona, you know, um, fraternizing with females, um, and apparently in this press conference, he said that um, a lot of these rumors were false. Uh, he wasn't actually kind of partying. He was actually having business meetings. Um, and I guess I didn't see the, the press conference, but I'm just kind of getting the roundup from the news. But it sounds like he kind of had evidence to back this up. And I guess that's why so many people, as well as him just being honest with the facts, it's the fact that he didn't get caught lying about it. You know, he was honest, but he actually was honest, you know. So that's kind of how he's managed to make this transition so seamlessly. And what I was impressed about uh, this Tegoshi guy is that I saw a couple of his videos Mm. and he has only released like five videos so far. All the videos has got uh, millions of uh, views Mm. already. And I noticed that he's really good at talking on the camera. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, sometimes like when you're watching like videos on YouTube, you can tell that, oh, this guy couldn't make this scene in like one cut mm. so you know kind of like combine the multiple cuts and uh, cuts and true, true. right but in his case like he's almost doing like all the scenes in one cut oh wow that's impressive yeah, yeah and i mean as a singer like we have to memorize all these lyrics and stuff and then performing in front of a audience exactly right? so you know he joined the, the johnny's like agency at the age of 15 
And oh, wow, he's, young you know, he's been working in the front line of the, the entertainment mm. world for 17 years by now. Yeah, that's crazy. So he, he's super used to uh, and he's like so comfortable, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, talking like publicly and of course on the camera. So. Yeah. Well, that's the exact kind of person that makes a good YouTuber, I guess. Isn't mm-hmm, it, you know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, all the best to, to Goshi-san. I'm sure he'll have two million subscribers by the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah it's definitely not the last big entertainer we'll see make the transition to YouTube so on to some business news next the Japanese tech company Fujitsu Limited has unveiled plans to cut its office space in half by March of 2023 the company already set an impressive example by reducing around 80% of office commuting from February when the breakout of coronavirus began the company is now adding further incentives that continue to push their over 800,000 domestic employees to work from home one of which includes paying out 5,000 yen a month to help employees set up a remote office space to work from home. Fujitsu employees will also no longer be required to come in during specific core hours and will be able to work a flexible schedule from the comfort of their homes. Less office space will also equal less rent money for the company to pay. In a statement by Fujitsu Corporate Executive Officer Hiroki Hiramatsu, we want to realize a smarter working style that is not constrained by time and location. This trend of pushing for telework follows suit with Fujitsu rivals such as Sony, Hitachi and Toshiba. While the coronavirus continues to negatively affect many industries, the work-from-home response of the corporate world could lead to permanent changes in how people work. I think this is fantastic news. And I think for far too long, regardless of a virus, the emphasis on having like a, an office space, punching in, punching out every day, in a world when like we can work on computers... Most work is done in spreadsheets and word processors. Why do you need to be like sat in a cubicle to like work on your own, <laughs> you know, every day? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally agree. So I'm impressed how quickly a large Japanese corporation like Fujitsu made this decision. Mm. Because um, I was talking to a friend last week. Uh, he works for another uh, large corporation in Japan. Mm. And uh, he was saying that since the beginning of July, they're expected to come to the office like more often. Mm. Um, and I hear that now many of them need to come to the office like three days a week. That's over 50%, right? Mm. Mm. So I kind of had a hope that many large corporations in Japan would naturally shift to the, the remote working environment. But uh, it seemed like they're kind of like going back to square one. Uh, gradually based on the amount of like you know copy and paste salary men i'm seeing on the trains nowadays <laughs> it certainly seems that way but I, I suppose like one of the reasons that it's not such an easy thing to implement in japan mainly is like cultural right there's this kind of hierarchy system that exists mm-hmm. in companies mm-hmm. and there's a lack of kind of autonomy that is given to lower ranking employees mm-hmm. so if you are kind of, even if you're responsible for something, but you have like a higher up or a manager, you still have to pass everything through them. And I guess doing that remotely maybe is more difficult if, you know, people really value like face-to-face communication. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see a company like Fujitsu, who, which is massive, right? 80,000 employees, you know, they're pushing for this change. But I guess ultimately in terms of like business for Fujitsu, this is all about cost saving, right? Um, if they're constantly putting their employees in a higher risk, having to commute to the office every day, then that could ultimately lead to staff quitting or taking long periods of time off sick. 
and that's going to affect the business, right? So it's surprising that more businesses aren't kind of eager to impose these kind of, you know, changes. Yeah, I, I felt the same, you know, and I just think that um, many salarymen in the senior um, executive positions still want to be kind of like surrounded by their like juniors or subordinates. Mm. I think um, mm-hmm. it's just like part of like human nature. You you want to <laughs> feel like you're surrounded by people and you're kind of like you, you just want to be in that environment physically. Mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't care, but uh, I think many people do. So one of my uh, friends was saying that uh, there's one uh, boss that he has. He doesn't have office space um, in his apartment. Mm. So he needs to bring his laptop to the, the park and then uh, join the, the Zoom conference. Oh, really? But uh, in the park, there are some like pigeons like approaching <laughs> him and you can you can hear them like chirping. Right. And all like uh, his subordinates <laughs> are kind of like uh, laughing yeah, like, yeah. Uh, behind the behind the scene. Yeah, yeah. Like they're like exchanges, um, they're exchanging messages using yeah. uh, chat functionality. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, like that guy is like, <laughs> you know, in the park again. Like, the pigeon guy. And, and pigeons are, you know, <laughs> chirping. And I, I think, um, yeah, those like not quite like tech savvy sure. uh, bosses mm. are afraid that uh, they may lose the, the influence. Mm. You know, if this kind of like uh, working environment becomes a standard. Um, so it's kind of funny, yeah. I saw uh, one story last week, actually. It was pretty funny. It was uh, a company had requested to, I think it was to Zoom, they had requested to Zoom to build like a plugin or a function that would basically allow you to set kind of um, stature levels for people in the call. So like in in the whole window, the very top of the window would be like a large box would be like Shacho, the boss of the company. And then uh. below him, smaller boxes would be the managers. And then, oh, and then right at the bottom, even the smaller would be like the core high. Oh, really? So even on the screen, it would look like oh, the power structure. The boss would have the biggest window. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Which I always thought was like... I think yeah. that's what this, um, you know, executives are looking for. You I know? think so, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that really matters to them, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. Because I guess by default, it's just mm. everything, everybody's the same size on the screen, right? Right, right. And I guess, like, I can, I can understand the psychology behind that, right? If mm-hmm. you're just, like, a regular employee, mm-hmm. you're just a, another cog in the wheel, right? You're just sitting there at your computer, and you've got the boss, and then your manager, and then your, your, all your other, like, colleagues, but they're all the same size on the screen. I guess it, it, it kind of humanizes the higher-ups, right? It makes mm-hmm. them seem like normal people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are <laughs> normal people, but it makes them seem less authoritative, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, I think that's a kind of like a venture spirit from mm. the, you know, coming from the West Coast of the, <laughs> the US. But I'm not sure if that applies to the large traditional like corporations in Japan. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely interesting. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens in the future. So on to the next topic related to tech. Many movies in the 20th century depicted the early 2000s as a futuristic paradise with flying cars, holograms, and robots. While this vision of the future may be a bit off, one aspect is on the verge of becoming a reality. The convenience store chain, Family Mart, has announced a partnership with Teleexistence, a robotics firm based out of Tokyo, to implement robotics workers into their stores. The goal of this partnership is to have these robots stock shelves 
with merchandise. Instead of being fully automated, the robots are planned to be remotely controlled by workers using VR headsets and gloves at the different location. This would allow smaller, more remote stores to remain in operation, even with few employees. This could also give more job opportunities to those with disabilities that prevent them from working on site. Test trials are set to begin in select Family Mart stores in Tokyo this summer, and with having robotic shelf stockers in 20 branches by 2022. Depending on the success of the experiment, more robots could be in store for the future of convenience stores. Yeah, so this is cool. It sounds like we are starting to live in the world of ghosts in the shell. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think these robots are a little bit more janky, a little bit more clunky. But I saw some pictures of them. They're pretty cool. They've got like、uh, they've got like separated finger like digits,、mm. you know, and their arms move. But they they move around on like wheels or like tank track kind、mm-hmm. of、mm-hmm. mechanism.、Um, but I guess in like in the convenience store, the floor the floor is just flat, right? There's no you know like crazy terrain that they have to traverse. So from what I understand, it's like one employee could be sat at home or you know in the office or whatever, and he has his like VR headset on. And he could be like, "There's a there's a store in Lapongi that I need to log into," and he just logs into that robot, takes like takes over, stocks the shelves, and then he's like, "Oh, now I need to go to like Shinagawa," and he just logs into like Shinagawa. So like he's saving all that time like commuting, and also like just the fact of like stocking shelves. Sometimes it's not a case of like it's going to take hours, right? Maybe the store's not that busy. Maybe you didn't make that many sales that day. So like, just only a few items need to be replenished. So there's not really a point of having a whole person working a whole shift to fill that time,、mm. where one person could log into like ten different stores in the right, same right. time, right? It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, you made a good case, and also I thought about this, but、um, these you know robots obviously have zero risk of getting infected by the virus. True, yeah.、Right? So well, it'd be a different kind of virus that infects them, right? <laughs> uh, true. <laughs> if they get hacked, if it turns into like、um, I don't know the Terminator, Skynet, they get hacked. <laughs> exactly, but at least you know、um, they have no risk of like、uh, infecting their their customers. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so、um, you know, I, I, I guess such technology. I mean, technology behind this is really complicated.、Mm. So it may have like some glitches in the beginning. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we'll see a major leap forward until these robots become almost as functional as a human being. Right, right. Because、and、they are—they are, take some time, right? Yeah, they—they they are still going to be slow and clunky.、Uh. But I think the biggest benefit at the moment is well, there's two benefits, right? One you already said is that you know the risk of infection is zero, and the fact that what I mentioned earlier was that the, the employee can basically just teleport to a different location. Almost instantly,、mm. and I guess in terms of like cost cutting for salary and staff, that really does add up. I would assume mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because basically you don't need to、uh, you don't need、uh, human employees to be like standby all the time,、mm. right? Yeah. But、uh, one thing I'm a bit concerned is that、uh, they sell a bunch of different types of、uh, merchandise、mm. in convenience. I mean, Japanese convenience, right? Yeah. You know,、uh, they sell things like uh, onigiri, uh, like、yeah. rice balls、uh, that are soft,、mm. or、uh, beers that are relatively hard.、Mm. You know, in the aluminium cans. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, I imagine that it will be quite challenging for the robots to kind of like grab those like soft objects mm. and hard objects. They're not just about like, you know, in terms of like sizes, mm. but um, if they kind of like grab the, these, uh, all these objects with the same <laughs> like, power, it. <laughs> yeah, it can, you know, crush the, the bread or onigiri or they even sell like eggs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that will be one of the, the challenges. I'm sure they'll get used to it, whether it's an egg or a human skull, you know, <laughs> as they crush customers and take over the world. <laughs> but uh, it'll be certainly interesting to see. And I, I hope these robots come to a store near me. That'd be, that'd be super fun to see. Okay, so on to our final story of the week. With coronavirus infections on the rise again in Japan, many people are turning to tracking apps to ease their fears about becoming infected. One tracking app is called Seshoku Kakunin Apuri, or the Contact Confirmation app. If you have registered yourself as having the virus, then any other users of the app that you have crossed paths with will then be notified. In theory, this would make users aware of those who are infected around them and allow them to take the proper precautions. However, several problems are affecting the functionality of the application. Even with current cases of coronavirus surpassing 1,100 people throughout the country, the number of users who are actually reporting themselves infected on the app is extremely low. As of this Wednesday, only three users have registered as having the coronavirus out of the over 6.1 million people that have downloaded the app. In order to prevent the further spread of the coronavirus, the Ministry of Health has asked for everybody's cooperation in downloading and using the contact confirmation app. But the stigma that could come from admitting infection may be influencing many to stay silent. Only three. <laughs> That's, it's kind of comical. If it, if it wasn't so serious, it's kind of funny. I can understand what people mean by the stigma, you know, but it's all anonymous, right? So I don't know. It seems weird that you wouldn't just mark yourself down. Mm. Um, but you've downloaded this app, right? Yes, yeah, sir? I downloaded this uh, yesterday. Mm. And um, as you said, already 6.1 million people downloaded this app mm. um, in one week. And I think this number itself is quite solid. Mm. And the problem is that during which time there were uh, 1,100 new cases. Um, so, you know, we have a population of like 120 million in Japan. So based on the rough calculation, there should be about like 100 people who were infected by the corona and using this app. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, as you mentioned, like only three people registered that info through the app. Mm. Mm. So the question is, like, why aren't people reporting, right? Interesting, yeah. Mm. My hypothesis is that even though this app was created and, you know, run by the government, I think many people are afraid to register as tested positive because they don't understand how it really works. Mm. I think the Ministry of Health needs better explanations for uh, people infected to feel safe about registering their information. Yeah, so I guess they need to like just stress the fact that it is anonymous, you know, and it's not traceable or anything like that. Right, because, um, you know, when you download the app, you, you just need to, like, uh, read through, like, uh, the, the lengthy document, mm. uh, like, uh, the about the mechanism of the app. Yeah. And it's very technical. Like, yeah, I, nobody, I, nobody reads those things, right? <laughs> yeah, except for me, I guess. Like, I, I, but I still, like, had to read, like, uh, multiple times mm. to, like, fully understand, mm. like, how it's working. Um, so, basically, you exchange an encrypted key 
with whomever that you've uh, crossed paths with. Mm, interesting. Mm. It's almost like it spreads in the exact way that the virus does. Yeah, in an ironic twist. Yeah, 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 that's, that's yeah. quite an ironic metaphor. Um, mm. But yeah, there are downsides to this. One being that the range of Bluetooth is not that great, right? It's not so solid. So, you know, or even if you're close to someone, but perhaps you're in, um, say, in a crowded train and there's many signals, right? Mm. It could be interference. Even if you're one of these three brave people that have admitted to having the coronavirus, <laughs> even if you're one of these people, there's a chance that you won't, alert everybody within your presence but in all honesty like if you've been tested positive you shouldn't be alerting anybody you should be in the house you should be staying home right mm. so that's another reason you know it's kind of like you shouldn't be getting alerted about people because if they know that they have it they shouldn't be going outside in the first place right no no so um basically you get to keep those like encrypted key for uh like two weeks so mm. like 14 days so um, even if you test, um, even if you are say like tested positive today, mm. the record go goes back to you know like all all the way like up to like the past two weeks and not for oh. all the people that you've like encountered in the past. Oh, okay. Weeks. Oh, so you're you're constantly logging keys of just everybody that you mm. go past. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes right. sense. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, okay. In the app, there there are no like graphics uh, that are used to explain the the mechanism for for this mm. app. So it's really hard to understand yeah. the the general like idea. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of logic, you know, and, and technical insight that goes into this. A lot of like statistical analysis of numbers, right? It's not just like you know, or you walk past somebody that had a virus and it just sends alerts to everybody because that would just cause widespread panic, right? Yeah, so I'm sure like uh, these thresholds are not like set to like cover all the cases. Mm. You know, it's it's like uh, Im impossible. But if they could maybe like find, let's say, like more than ninety percent of the hidden cases, sure, then maybe that's good enough. Yeah, I guess right? so. And and not cause the the unnecessary like panic. Yeah, so that wraps it up for all the news stories this episode. Now let's jump into the final segment of the show: Word of the Week. Okay, so today I'm going to introduce you an interesting Japanese phrase. We discussed the news about the floods in Oita and the western part of Japan today. And because historically Japanese people have been suffering from various natural disasters, we have many old sayings related to natural disasters. Okay, so the word of the week is Jishin Kaminari Kaji Oyaji. Have you heard of this? I've not heard of it. But, I mean, based on your brief description, I can pretty much guess what it means. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jishin is earthquake. Mm -hmm. Kaminari is like a storm, thunder. Mm -hmm. um, Kaji is fire. Mm -hmm. Oyaji. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know, flood, maybe? What did I miss? Right. So, um, yeah, everything you said is correct, except for Oyaji. Yeah. Oyaji means the father. Oh, okay. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Oyaji's G is uh, the kanji for father, right? Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Oyaji's Oya is His parents. Um, parents. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can tell what's common among the first three words, right? Mm. Like jishin and kaminari and kaji. Mm. They're all like um, natural disasters. Yeah. Although kaji could be, you know, caused by uh, by humans. Humans, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
then what is Oyaji in this context? In the West, I guess you could say it's almost referring to like a god, right? It's like the power of the god. But I mean, you don't have that in Japan, right?、Mm. Like the Kamisama, there's no like one overruling god, right?、Mm. Um, is it something to do with the emperor, maybe?、Uh, not the emperor, but I would say it's not too far off in a sense that、uh, it is meant to compare all the, the scary like, things.、Mm. To your father. <laughs> yeah, so that, that is why this is tough because、uh. it's not like this in, in Japan anymore.、Mm. But in the past,、uh, Oyaji in Japan、uh, used to be as scary as,、um, or it could be even more scary than natural disasters. Because in the past, Japanese society was very like, patriarchal、mm. and seniority was valued, right? Oh, okay. So, okay. if I may, like many fathers were acting very like arrogantly,、mm. and he could just like hit you like if you don't follow what he says.、Uh, okay, I'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Mm. You know, fortunately, like not many people are afraid of their fathers anymore.、Mm. So, this saying is becoming a bit out of date. Mm, interesting.、Yeah. But I particularly find this saying interesting because、uh, it kind of reflects how we saw the world in the past. And I guess, yeah, if you look at the probability of facing wrath from your father, it's probably like an everyday occurrence compared、mm-hmm. to Kaminari or, you know, yeah, Jishin. It's、yeah. kind of infrequent event, right?、Mm-hmm, so I guess、mm-hmm. maybe the severity is lower, but the frequency it puts it in line with those other kind of disasters. Interesting.、Mm, that's a good explanation for yeah. it. Yeah, but these days,、uh, some people、uh, just swap the Oyaji with Nyobo, for example, and which means wife. <laughs> <laughs> or other natural disasters such as tsunami.、Uh, nyobo, I've never heard that word before. It's a way of、uh, describing your, your wife. Oh, interesting. So, my, my nyobo it is.、Yeah. But it's a bit, how to say, like old fashioned way of referring to your、uh, wife. It sounds old fashioned. Even though like, I don't really know Japanese to that depth, it just got, I don't know something about that word. It sounds old fashioned. Yeah, interesting that you say that because, yeah. It, In reality, I've never heard my, for example, like friends of the、uh, same age using the word newable.、Uh, so. Have you heard older people using it?、Uh, yeah. 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 Older、oh, okay. people. Yeah, quite often. Yeah. So, yeah. What is your most scary thing, Julian? My most scary thing?、Um, I don't know. I, I guess, like, I've not experienced it yet, but the thought of being in a giant earthquake in Japan, because I'm not from Japan, right? So I've never experienced them from a young age.、Hmm. But like, I've seen like videos of like people in the office and the, the building's just shaking. And pe- like, it's almost like the, the, the force launches you across the room, right? And there's like shells falling down. And yeah, it looks scary. So I'm, I'm not into the, the idea of that, to be honest. I wouldn't say a lot of stuff scares me particularly, but yeah, that would be scary. If,、hmm. I, if I just happened to be at the top of a very tall building, When an earthquake came, I'd probably cry. <laughs> right. So maybe in your case, it's only Jishin, Kaminari, Kaji, yeah and not Nyobo. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely Nyobo. <laughs> okay. Jishin, Kaminari, Kaji, Nyobo、yeah. for you. Nyobo Nashi. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your wife is not listening to this. Yeah, it's all right. She's fine. She doesn't, she doesn't listen. <laughs> Okay, so、uh, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Whichever platform you're listening to, make sure that you're subscribed for a brand new episode every single week. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have any questions or comments, send us a message on Twitter at New Tokyo News. 
We are also releasing videos every week on YouTube, so find us there. So stay healthy, stay safe, everybody. I hope your nyobo or oyaji doesn't cause you any problems this week. And、uh, we'll be back next week for the very next episode of this week in Japan. <laughs>